Hello, hello. This is Matthew Nanez, the host of the podcast you're listening to right now called The Pod of Never. And this is the podcast where I talk to creatives, professionals with a DIY background, or anyone I just find plain interesting to get their stories of how their experiences have shaped their work. And today is no exception. So today I am talking to Andrew Zell from the metalcore band One Year Later. I met Andrew Zell in the comments section of Finn McKenty's LinkedIn, which if you've been listening, it's been a common theme in the past few episodes. I feel like the past few episodes have been like the Finn McKenty LinkedIn commenters, you know, <laughs> roundup, you know, that is not by design, but ultimately, you know, I'm just finding really awesome people on, on LinkedIn. Um, I know to some of you might be like a kind of a douchey place to be, but I think it's what you make of it. If you know, you can find your people there and Andrew Zell is one of those people. So in this interview, I talk about him growing up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania and how, uh, Lancaster Metalcore has shaped him. Uh, we also talk about his time at CI Records working for them, and then basically his story ranging from his time at CI to where he is now working at Zoom. So all those Zoom uh, meetings you've been having probably, especially during uh, the pandemic, you know, he was working there. And so I really enjoyed this conversation. Andrew is an awesome guy. And I think through the conversation, you'll hear that. So also one thing of note, um, the audio on this, there may be a little bit of echoes in here. You know, I'm kind of still getting back in the saddle with uh, producing a podcast again and uh, with some new, um, I've got some new equipment that I'm still figuring out. I did my best to edit them out. So if you hear that, just, um, just um, you know, just hang out. Just, just, just stay with me here. Um, but before we get to that, I want to talk about Chapters Creative, my company where I build brand strategies using storytelling frameworks. Um, I've got a deal going on. If you've ever wanted to clarify your business's messaging, I can do that for you. In just two and a half hours, I meet with you and ask you a bunch of questions. Um, and from that meeting, we get a solid brand messaging framework for you, for you to deploy on your websites, on your social, or whatever else. Normally, I charge $500, but for the Pot of Never listener, I'm charging $250. I'm knocking half off. It's a massive value. I've worked with brands before like Wrangler, Cliff Bar, uh, Diamondback Bikes, Sprint, you name it. I've worked with them big and small. So if that's you, if you want some clear brand messaging, just go to chapterscreative.com, write me and say, hey, I heard you on the pot of never. I'll get you that discount. Now, without any further ado, here is the interview with Andrew Zell. Thanks for thanks for showing up after a hard day's work. Absolutely. What was work like today? Uh, it was pretty simple. I actually was doing a lot of learning today. Um, typically, like 
If things aren't going like super, super quickly, if there's not anything like massively pressing, we're able to take a little bit of time for some personal development. So recently, and not really that recently, but like over the last like couple years, probably like Figma has become like a much more prevalent tool. Uh, And I grew up in Photoshop and then Illustrator. And really, I grew up in like, you know, like Macromedia Flash. But like I've been on the Adobe wave for so long, you know, including now they're buying Figma. But anyway, um, I've never I had not really ever experimented with Figma until maybe a couple months ago. And a lot of like uh, our design and branding teams and like anyone who really deals with any kind of like interface, like user interface type things like they're in like marketing, so on. They they are like Figma all the way. And uh, me trying not to get like boomered out by using these standalone programs, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to try and figure out what this Figma thing is. So I was taking like a couple like courses and like following some YouTube tutorials just basically trying to figure out, okay, like what, what all is possible in here? Um, and like, I don't really do any like customer facing things and nothing that's like front end development or anything like that. But for, for like the purpose of being able to make a bunch of things that all fit together, use the same, uh, you know, language components, things like that. It's really nice. Uh, so today, like the second half of the day, uh, I was just basically diving in and figuring out you know, how the hell do you make things move from one side to the other? Like how, like animating, designing, what's the same as Photoshop? What's the same as Illustrator? What's like After Effects? You know, like there's so many little like nuances and like cool things that you can do in Figma that combine a lot of the pieces of the Adobe suite. So I think it's, I mean, I think it's a great like addition for them. Um, but yeah, that's what I was up to. I've tried so in a you know past role I was on a team I was the only writer in the team of a bunch of designers and so we would have these like exercises where we would like create something like within like okay you've got 15 minutes to create something yeah. and I'm just like box type <laughs> yeah yeah I I for me though like being in a role where like I'm not necessarily a designer. I'm not necessarily an animator. I'm not like we what I do is like create content for our enablement team, which is ba- which is like on the sales team, which is housed like in the revenue organization. So sometimes those things are images, sometimes they are decks, sometimes they are videos, sometimes they are uh, like podcast esque type ways to to like get information to a learner. So like working with instructional designers to figure out what is the best type of media to serve them so that they can take home these things, whether that is uh, their compensation plan or like new security features, you know, things like that. So uh, you you don't always know. You can, it's not like every day I know I'm going to log in and like work on the same thing, type of thing, even, you know, sometimes that kind of ambiguity is is a lot of fun depending depending if like the ship's going the like all the right way sure having that sort of thing where like oh today i'm going to be writing today i'm going to be pitching today i'm going to be doing this like it's it's not all all the same thing and you know we, we were talking before about the whole instructional designer type of thing but really like the reason why i was fine like going to figma because like the instructional design and plus like ux strategy of it all like at least like if I don't have a pen and paper, I can just do something crude on there and just like, yeah, at least get my ideas out. So 
that's a that's pretty cool and also what else is pretty cool is how we even met in the first place linkedin yeah of all places and um I think I think it was a mutual like because we uh, I follow Finn McKenty and you do too. I think I must have, I think I reached out to you like I think like we might have lock, liked a couple of each other's like stuff here. Yeah. And there. Well, I would see that you would post stuff about like you know hearkening back on like experiences of being in a band and like how those things tie to like how they influenced you really to like be who you are now like your work ethic the things you do. The, you know, the people, the company you keep, so on and so forth. And I think that that's like, that's what really drew me to uh, like the punk rock MBA. Um, so, you know, seeing people that are interacting with, uh, you know, Finn McKenty's posts, I'm like, hey, look, like it's a pretty good chance these people, you know, like we have something in common, you know, um, yeah. whether he's like really excited about that or not, I'm not sure. But it is funny to like kind of scour those comments to see like, hey, well, this person probably knows like the history of easy core pretty well. Uh, if I ever needed to strike up a conversation with them, you know? Yeah. And that, and I think at least for me, like going, like striking out on my own at the beginning of the year, cause I've been on LinkedIn for years, whatever, but like it never really occurred to me to like search out people that are like me because like, I, I tend to think that people like you and I who have experience like in the music industry in one way or another, there's a lot of the shared experiences and that in, in itself, I think is pretty unique if you're a prof professional. And so that's why I like, I'm, I'm back then, like, I'm like, you know what? Like if I'm going to be on LinkedIn and be like my own guy, like I don't want to sacrifice my experiences and in, in who I am, mm -hmm. but I, there's gotta be people out there who feel like that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm at a company now that has like 7,000 employees. I would bet there is less than 1% that have maybe even the same music taste, right? So like finding people on LinkedIn that feel that like have the same background, you really like you have to seek them out because you, this, the chances of running into someone are so, so slim, you know, so incredibly slim. Uh, and like music to be as passionate about it as the we are is an even further level. You know what I mean? It's one thing that like some people might have like really liked newfound glory or something like that. And like, we maybe have the similar, like we have similar taste in like genre or something, or we had those experiences in that era. But for, for, for us, like I don't, I I'm like a super nerd about like where bands are from. It's like, I have to know it immediately. And I know that that is like, 1% of 1% of people like actually give a shit about that, you know? So like even finding, finding people that are like remotely passionate or like enjoy music or at least, you know, a similar kind to what we do, much less like have ever been in a band or anything like that. That's one thing. And then like going and finding like the people that are even farther down the rabbit hole of obscure <laughs> and, and interested in that uh, is like an entirely different, exciting challenge, you know? And it's funny, like, when I started my my business, it wasn't the idea of like finding people like this, right? Mm -hmm. It was just like, you know what, I just need to get I just need to get work. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then like this whole idea that I don't know if you see this as you go through LinkedIn or whatever else they say like, oh, niche down, niche down. And I'm like, I don't know how, 
but like as far as like the clients I get, but at the very least I can just like post about the stuff that interests me and something really cool happened, like literally five minutes before you hopped on. I don't know if you've listened to the weaker thans at all. I know the name because it's all one word, right? For uh, the weaker than yes. yes, and so the singer used to play bass and propaganda. Okay, like, forever. All right, he was like cool. the original right. bass player, but they're more like a folky punk type of thing now. Gotcha. Um, and so, one of my connections posted a song like, "Hey, what's your?" Or he posted something like, "Hey, what's your favorite song from a point of view of an animal?" Well, here's this weaker than song. I was like, "Huh?" <laughs> so I, immediately, I'm like, "Jump on that!" Yeah. And then someone else, like so, pretty much all the people that have commented on that, I've literally reached out to because he's like John K. Samson, the singer, is like one of my favorite songwriters of all time. Mm-hmm. It's like literally on my friend request to this person is like, you posted about this song. That means we're friends. Now. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, and it's all it's a great it's a great feeling not knowing you're alone and 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 knowing what you know if Twitter goes away like I mean where where else am I gonna post about exactly yeah for sure point? and what's really cool about like when we first started talking um, I was kind of telling you I'm like hey you seem seem rad like let's talk about this stuff and I kind of told you folks that I've had on this show before and one of them's Jonah Matranga uh-huh. of One Line Drawing and Far and you were like. Yeah. Ah, yeah. So like, so yeah. explain, explain kind of uh, that connection. Sure, sure. So I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is a town about halfway between Philadelphia and Harrisburg and Baltimore. Uh, and I was kind of entering the scene maybe like 2006, 2007 ish. Um, and for those who don't know, Lancaster is like to me, like the birthplace of modern metalcore. I, I don't care what anyone says. I have so much extreme pride for this place. It's unreal. But uh, Lancaster is home to August Burns Red, uh, twice Grammy, Grammy nominated. Uh, Atrium Audio, the producers Carson Slovak and Grant McFarland. Uh, there is literally a documentary about Lancaster metalcore that you can watch on Amazon called Barn Burner. Um, amazing. It, it's, I didn't it's, know that. It's quite, a, it's quite like a, an amazing place. I also like, so I was growing up around another band called Texas in July. Uh, They basically were signed to a record label that started in Lancaster called CI Records. And CI Records has been around since 1987. Um, I eventually went on after like being in some local bands and stuff to like sitting on the couch in the back of the record store and like eventually working for the label, so on and so forth. But I know that you had mentioned Jonah Matranga and One Line Drawing, and I vividly remember this framed album in the back of the store because CI had put out one or two one-line drawing uh, EPs or albums. So I I had this connection from that. I just remember the big OLD and like the, it was like, I think it was green maybe. Um, but I, I can remember those. And like there, there were plenty of like more modern releases. The label's still around to this day. Uh, two of the bands that I was in were signed to the label. Um, and so I was, you know, I was working there. Was I like working my books? <laughs> you know, yeah. like at the time I was really just like trying to hone my skills and like get better at making things uh, like visually, which is really funny because now because I figured out how to do lyric videos all the way back then. Now I can do motion graphics today as the corporate world calls them, you know, stuff like that. But that's that's the connection there back to one line drawing. Jonah Matranga is CI Records, this label that I worked at 
for five or six years. Wow. Yeah. It's just, we have a joke here, at least in Salt Lake City, where, where I am. We call it Small Lake City, where you basically like, you're basically one degree away from someone else, no matter how hard you try not to yeah. be. <laughs> and it's, this world is kind of like that. Like if you have any like real experience, like, you know, whether being in bands or booking shows or whatever else, like you're bound to know someone of someone. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. I mean, it could be a great or, or bad thing depending on who you are, well, but it did. You know, it's really funny. It, have you read the book sell out by Dan Ozzy? Okay, so I finished it like last week and I was rolling through the thank yous and stuff as you're conditioned to do from lyric sheets and booklets and so on and so forth. And in the thank yous is the name of a girl that I sat next to in art school or in art class in high school. Uh, So I reached out to her and I was like, what the hell are you doing in this book? Because she's a very unique name. And she's like, oh, I worked with Dan at Noisy and he thanked me in the book. And I was like, but from my high school, you know, like it's just, that kind of stuff, you know, I, I feel like there's a little bit of Lancaster everywhere. So that's just that just goes to show like I'm like, of course, of course, there's somebody, you know, associated with like this hometown that was involved with, you know, so much stuff that I love. Yeah, my, my high school has a, a couple of claims to fame. One of them, um, I had joined the band Gaza that was on Metal Blade at one point. Um, it was there's a trio of us that went to all the same high school in this little town, 30 minutes North of Salt Lake city, Mm -hmm. like super Mormon blue collar kind of military town. And all of a sudden now they're in cult leader and they're destroying. Yeah. So it's just, it's just, it's just crazy. Like depending on where these scenes kind of pop up or the sphere of influence, all of a sudden, like the, the networking, (laughs) the the network, I should say, just gets, spreads you know yeah. so let's talk about um growing up in, in lancaster I, won't, I always want to say it lancaster but as a lot of people do want to say it that way but i even if someone says lancaster or whatever other way it's lancaster it's lancaster. weird it's weird i will tell you that it's it is not normal that it's pronounced that way but it is it's lancaster I blame the Appalachian uh, mountain range or I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know who bastardized it so hard, but it is Lancaster. But anyway, what do you, uh, forgive, what do you forgive me for my muscle memory of oh, seeing it completely no, wrong. No worries. But when did, when did you first fall in love with music? Like how did you, uh, did you grow up with it early on in life or was it just later on in high school? What was it? I, I think it was like eighth or ninth grade. Uh, there was like, there was a kid who ended up like getting transferred to my school from somewhere else, maybe moved or something like that. And my last name is Zell. So I'm like, anytime there's alphabetical order, I am at the very end. Right. But they add new kids in after that. So luckily for me, I had now somebody who was behind me. I ended up befriending this kid. He played guitar, uh, which was really cool. I had never played an instrument in my life. Like I couldn't do any of that stuff. And, um, we became like pretty good friends and he like started hanging out with this kid that played drums and like they wanted to start a band and they were like, Zell, you should play bass. And I was like, I would love to. What is that? <laughs> I-, I had no idea. I didn't even know what it was. I'm being completely honest. I was probably like 13. Uh, but I asked my I told my parents that I, my friends wanted me to be in a band and um, they had they had always like listened to music. I, I, I think my mom played piano. But like my dad was not a musician. Um, so like we had never not like a musical family by any means. 
but I asked for a base for Christmas and I got a Dean players pack with like a 12 watt amp and you know this like Dean black Dean base with a rosewood fretboard and it was like I, I probably spent like the next three weeks like trying to learn how to play system of a down songs um, right and then kind of we just like I just kept playing bass and like me and this other kid just kind of ended up being in bands together for a really long time um we had like a couple like awful punk bands when I was like too punk for words like too cool for anything I'm talking like you know studded belt trip pinstripe pants like yeah literally the tightest pot like everything and like always thinking that like emo and pop punk and stuff were like so terrible until like maybe like 2008 uh when like all my punk bands had broken up <laughs> basically and i heard like mayday parade and i was like this isn't that bad and then like i heard like hit the lights and like four years strong and a couple things like that i was like this is actually pretty freaking cool um yeah and kind of shifted my brain out of thinking i'd be a sellout at you know 15 years old or 16 years old and was and wanted to play pop punk so ended up starting a band uh like the end of 2008 it was like a pop punk band still playing bass uh we won our high school battle of the bands uh that's when you know that, you're good i mean that was it that's when i knew like everything was going to go well um the band is called carousel kings uh they're still a band today um i so they they i shouldn't say they we uh, had won our battle of the bands and we were really good friends with Texas in July metalcore band from Lancaster because I had done their MySpace layout. Uh, so like at this time, like I was making MySpace layouts and T-shirts and stuff like that for like bands that were pretty small, like nothing like really crazy. But Texas in July had a show uh, at the Chameleon Club. Rest in peace. My hometown venue. Beautiful. Oh, awesome. it went away. It's done. It's gone, man. It, it went out ah. over COVID and uh I'm very, very sentimental about that for sure. But we ended up uh, having a show opening for Texas in July. And that really like kickstarted a lot of it, you know, like a couple like a, a summer later, we ended up going out on like our first tour. And like you and I had talked about this like very briefly beforehand. But, you know, my my first tour was booked off of like looking up shows in different zip codes on MySpace and like asking, you know, like if we could play. And like making sure that our pure volume had all the tracks on it that we needed and like making fake accounts to vote for our band to play Warp Tour on the Ernie Ball stage. Like, over, you know, for like the next like three, four years, like we just lived and breathed this, you know. Um, so for me, it was just like all I wanted to do was like be in a band and like, you know, leave Friday from high school to go to New Jersey to play, you know, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, and like maybe get dropped off in the van back at school on Monday, you know, <laughs> it, it only really happened once. And yeah. it's not as like, it was just like, we played like, you know, three awful shows to like 15 people. Cause we weren't that big, but uh, yeah. that stuff definitely existed. But having that like experience of knowing, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have to assume that things got serious for you in music pretty, pretty quickly. That's what it seems like. Like you're choosing to get in the van and going to play these weekend shows while you're still in high school. So that must've been a pretty quick transition for it to being like, Oh, I, I just got this Dean bass to this is all I want to do. Like how quick was that transition over, over like, 
probably like five years. So there was there was a lot of time spent in like really bad bands with like my parents like taking me to the show to like play, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. But once like the the Carousel Kings thing had started, um, we just like there was a time where we had like a ton of momentum. And I think that, you know, maybe like I'm looking at that with like rose colored glasses and like maybe we were just like any other like hometown band that like hit a stride or something like that. But there was there was like so much momentum and it felt so good to be doing that. Like we were we were still like the discoverability engine did not exist like uh, like it does necessarily today. There wasn't like we had MySpace, sure, but like you were you were networking through your your top eights and so on and so forth. And now like you can go and like get recommended 30 songs in Spotify on Monday and on Friday, you know, like so you always knew like where you were going, like people probably didn't know you which was kind of cool because they were there anyway. You know what I mean? But it really didn't get like incredibly, incredibly serious for, for me. Like when it was like, I want to do this really bad until I was in college, uh, which is a bad time for anyone to want to get really serious about it. Um, but I had left Carousel Kings and I had joined a metal band called One Year Later. Uh, another from Lancaster, right? And now I'm in a metal band. So Texas and July are like even closer friends and we actually fit on a show instead of us being like, you know, saves the day opening for August Burns Red, you know, very different. Yeah, I'm sure they would absolutely love that, you know, at least August Burns Red might. But um, now I'm in a metal band and Texas in July offers us to go on, on our first tour uh, after our record comes out on CI Records, which is like a month long. And I'm in college and I hated it. I hated college a lot, which is like, I, I like learning. Like I love, I love learning, but I was like commuting to a branch campus of Penn state every day. It was like an hour commute there and an hour commute back. I'd have no classes in the middle of the day. So I just sit in the library and sulk and make fake emails to vote for my band to play Warped Tour. you know, like just like all I would do is like read Jesse Cannon's blog and like, that was it. Like all I wanted to do was music. And so I, after like five or six times of like begging my parents to let me like drop out, they did. They let me go uh, for this tour, which ended up like being one tour strung into another, strung into another with a week off with another one after. And that was when it was like very like, okay, I want like, I'm, I'm actually doing this now, you know? I wonder like, because for for me, my first tour was three three weeks. It wasn't even like a weekend. It was like, here we go, drop into it. You're 18 years old. Yeah. But when you were on that, um, you know, that tour, when it just kept going and going and going, were you just like jazzed the whole time? Were you just pumped, or or like what was the kind of the the feeling of you finally being able to do that? Um, it, it's really funny. Uh, I'll. So I want I also want to like preface this by saying like none of my like none of the bands I was ever in were like incredibly big. So like I, I don't want anyone to think like I'm talking from like some like high horse of like a long time touring musician or anything like that. I just got to do a lot of stuff. And like the funny thing is like how close we were to people that continued on, which was like one of my favorite parts. So the the tour that sort of felt like it didn't end for like two months was one tour that my band was on for the first two weeks of four. Uh, and then the band, the headliner, Texas in July, kept me around as a tech after my band got off the tour. So I literally played for the first two and two and a half, you know, 15 days, whatever. Uh, 
watched my van drive away uh, and then got in the Texas in July van for the remainder of the tour, which ended in Lancaster, where my band played the last show. So uh, I met up with them that night. We left for another tour with a different band. Uh, funny enough, the band that we went on tour with was Ice Nine Kills. And this is like 2012 or 13. And we played one. One of the venues that we played was the same venue that we had played on the Texas in July tour. And we played it to about 10% of the crowd. So the whole like second tour that we were on was much smaller. It honestly was like uh, Ice Nine Kills was not who they are today. And like it, I, I wasn't upset, but there was like it was like, oh, shit. Like, did we just do I would say like a, like six months later or like, did we already do our best tour? Uh, so like that, that is like a, a scary thing that goes through, you know, like the one slot bands <laughs> minds probably a lot. You know, it's like our records coming out. We got on a good tour. We just did this. Like, how the hell do we get on another one like that? Um, so I, I don't think that in the moment you have, I think like when you're in the touring moment, it is like extreme high, extreme low, uh, you know, and there's a lot of like hurry up and wait. Um, and being like on the road, it sometimes it feels like it's like medium or low. Like when you're not on stage, it's like medium or low. I, I didn't have like any point where I remember like being on the road ever and being like, this is all a bad idea. So I, I, I can at least say that. Yeah, I, I know those all the, the high and lows. So at least for my first serious bands, first the first tour was great. Like it was pretty much like medium to high, maybe only a couple of low shows, but they were kind of like in between. We didn't like, it's like a losing streak in, in sports, mm -hmm. right? You string together yeah. enough losses in a row. It starts to really mess yeah. with you. Yeah. But then later on that year, we were supposed to go out to the East coast in this, uh, you know, half the East coast leg was supposed to be booked by this other band and they completely fell through except for two shows. Yeah, dude, that's a, we were, we were, it was on a we were on a massive losing streak, mm -hmm. so to speak. Yeah, and then for some reason, like we had a we had a uh, a friend of a friend in St. Louis basically help us be our uh, home base while we would go to the the, the sh go to a show and then find out that the next three shows were uh, canceled yeah. or weren't going to happen at all. So we'd drive back to St. Louis, then drive to Florida. It was terrible. Yeah, I definitely had experiences like those for sure. I think, you know, the, the good thing was like we did not like it wasn't like that was the end of our career or anything. We ended up, you know, throughout the next couple of years, we ended up touring with like Shy Halud, uh, Fit for a King, like a handful of other bands that like now it's so funny to be like, I know those guys like they're like I just went last week to see Census Fail with like monster flames and can't swim like moths was on that very first tour i did and like so now i've known those guys for a decade <laughs> and what's funnier is the guitar player in census fail uh was in the first band that carousel kings toured with uh called so many ways and he's been in that band he's been in census fail now for i don't know how long but i knew him as well it's so weird like the people that you get to see that are still out there on the road and like really like where they are. If there's like one thing that I'm like sometimes envious of, it's my friends that have been the most like perseverant when it comes to staying on the road. What, and a lot of times they're not, they might not be musicians anymore. They might be like part of the crew or something like that, but they're still doing like incredibly cool shit. 
Um, like I have a friend who's like, he's like doing like production for a day to remember. Like none of like we would have, we, we would have like killed somebody for our bands to be with them. And now like he gets to collect a paycheck from them, you know? Yeah. That's a, still a pretty high level. I mean, they're not like, I mean, they are playing massive festivals and, and stuff like that. Like yeah. they, they still, they might not be, you know, uh, a name that everyone knows, Yeah, but that's, that's a solid gig. But what's, you know what, like what's two or three more z- years of that. And then like your production for blink or your, or, or you like shift genres even, you know, like you end up meeting, uh, somebody that works for some like huge country artist, you know, and like, that could be something completely crazy. Or you, you're working for like Taylor Swift. You, I mean, all that stuff is like, it, you know, th- it's harder to get promoted, I guess. It's like, it's like you're supposed to job hop, like to go get a raise or something. You know what I mean? You know yeah. I mean? <laughs> well, a lot of those gigs are, you know, they have, they're on retainer too, depending on who you are and mm-hmm. what you're doing. Like if you're a drum tech or whatever, you're on a retainer probably. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really cool. Cause I still have friends who are doing it. Like I have a friend who, goes out with pretty decently big indie bands and she's their merch manager. She's sometimes she's selling the merch, but other than that, she's just telling the local merch people what to do. (laughs) Count in, count out, baby. Let's go. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So when you're on um, these tours, was there a specific job that you found yourself doing or you became known as that dude? So, so you did that. So, well, what were those jobs? I was always the parent like of the band, like from the beginning, like I would say like a lot of, a lot of the people that I were, I was in bands with, like that weren't like super in love with like being very online. Uh, like even, you know, still maybe even to this day. So a lot, like, because I'd come from the MySpace designing and like whatever else, like I was always going to be like the guy that did like as much of the art as I could, or like ran the socials or whatever. But then like on the road, I was always like tour dad. Like I was always advancing with people, trying to tell it, like finding out where we're supposed to park the van. Like when do we need to load in? Like, you know, settling with a promoter. There, there was <laughs> the only thing, like I'll say this, like we had a our bass player who lives in Salt Lake City now, oddly enough. Uh, our bass player was a damn good driver. Uh, and he, he kicked ass at driving. And I would I might have only had to sit shotgun with him, you know, but. I, I don't know if that was because like at the time, I think maybe like in retrospect, I think that maybe like I was probably bad at like teaching other people how to do stuff. And that's why I ended up with a lot of those responsibilities. Um, because once you start to do something for some types of people, they just are like, okay, cool. That person's going to do it forever. And now I don't have to worry about it. Uh, so like, honestly, it's hard to say that there were like responsibilities that were out there besides like selling merch and driving where it was like, Oh, I don't, you know, I don't do those. I don't do them all of the time. I should say. Yeah. My first band would not let me drive because I was 18 and I was like automatic. Like that part wasn't, you know, part of my job, but I booked me, me and the guitar player booked half the shows together. I take one yeah. half. He takes the other half. So it's like, I didn't feel too, <laughs> <laughs> take advantage of, of, of much of that too much, you know, of course, like the yeah. settling up and, and all that, which is, I, I think one of the, uh, along with booking, of course, probably like it's difficult being the face of the band mm-hmm. sometimes depending on 
what happens. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were lucky. We always had an agent. So we like, we didn't really have to book ourselves. Uh, Like by the time I was in like a heavily touring band or more heavily touring band, but my, like my mentor and boss at CI, uh, Jeremy Weiss, like he, he was a tour manager. Like he's born to be a tour manager. And then like my closest friend in the music industry at the time was Texas in July's tour manager. And so like, I just had these, like I was surrounded by TMs all the time. And that's just sort of like the, that's what I like thought everyone should figure out how to do on the road or like be aware of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then it was just like an extension of like having run the socials or whatever else. Cause that that's where like being like, I was like, I was a creative director for some of these types of things. You know what I mean? Like I want to like, Hey, you guys don't understand why, but we're never going to capitalize a single fucking word in our fucking Facebook status. (laughs) Like, like stupid shit. You know what I mean? But like, that would actually like that was important to me yeah and there would be like sometimes where i'd be like who posted this instagram photo with this caption you know like is there a capital letter like like, it would be bad like that and like that's like i said that's like i look back at that and i laugh now because like it probably didn't really matter but like that stuff would piss me off so bad so maybe i'm just like a control freak Uh, (laughs) but you know like i said there there was like almost anything that like I had the capacity to do and like even things I maybe didn't like I wanted to be the one doing Mm -hmm. I didn't I will say this I wasn't always like I didn't write all of the songs so like that's a pretty important part uh, to mention it wasn't like uh, you know I wrote all the songs and then had these like hired guns or anything like I was just playing guitar in a metalcore band a lot of opens I'm I'm not good at playing guitar Um, so I was like well try and do as much else as I can. But I think that's a pretty good exercise for like trying to figure out what your career is going to be like trying everything and anything and everything and seeing what um, sticks out in your Britain. So you're talking about like getting basically the owner of CI is essentially your mentor at this point. Like if like, because yeah. everyone should in have music, least, when, like, in music, a hundred percent in music. And then like by extension of like, it being a record label and also like having managed bands having been a tour manager himself like operating you know several different entities at this point whether it's like uh like a some sort of like middleman for like merchandising um there's also like i didn't even get i didn't even mention this like ci also runs this thing called the launch music conference and festival uh it's in like it's 14th or 15th year now essentially like 500 to 1,000 bands end up submitting their music. Uh, about 160 to like 200 of them end up being selected. They play on like 20 stages in like 14 different rooms across three nights in Lancaster uh, every April. Uh, it's historically been in April. Uh, so like I was like art director for this festival. And so like there was just like there's always business shit going on. And when you're like, you don't always realize that that's what it is. Yeah. You know, I, I think, think that that's a really hard thing to for people to do that are even still like in like the touring area, like still like touring and stuff. Not at all knock on their talents or anything, but not knowing like just how relevant your skill set is in like corporate America or like in in a business context. Uh, like it, it's very easy to to not know like how smart you could like you are to people that are in a completely different world. Yeah. It's been amazing to really put the pieces together. Uh, I, 
for me, like the slow realization of knowing that I had all of these like crazy skills I developed way before I even realized I developed them. Mm-hmm. Cause basically like booking is sales. Yeah. I'm not a sales guy. Like I'm more of like a creative or whatever, but all, pretty much essentially all throughout my time in college, after I was done touring, I didn't think about any of that. I didn't think about doing marketing. I didn't think about yada, yada. I was an English major, right? My goal mm-hmm. was to be an English teacher because that's what you do. Right. But then mm-hmm. I remember I, I had this job at a warehouse. I was like an assistant manager of like keeping this warehouse together. And I'm listening to this podcast of Matt Pryor from the Get Up Kids. And he was talking about how the Get Up Kids had broken up. Now, what the hell are you going to do? And someone had told him like, well, just write down all the stuff you did while you're in the Get Up Kids. And he has this, he, he writes out all these bullet points. He's like, Oh my gosh, I ran a business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. It's crazy. It, it made me it, think about it, you know. I, I love that. I love that part of it. I love that like there's there's so much opportunity to learn. And, and like music is just the kind of place where you're kind of thrown into the fire. And if you're bad at all those things, like you, you're just not going to make it, you yeah. know. I think one thing I will say, though, is that like it, it's either that's where I figured that's where I learned it or that's where I like developed the habit like. It's it, we talked about this like for one second earlier, but like specializing and like having a niche and stuff are very important. And I, like I would never wish upon anybody to try to be so generalist. Yeah. <laughs> like, but that's like that's something that like I don't know if I picked up on it or I was always going to be a generalist. Uh, I don't know if I picked up on that from music and like wanting to do all the stuff that seemed like it needed to get done or not, but. Uh, it was definitely an environment where there's plenty of things to do or to learn or to figure out and also to try and like get ahead of other people, you know, that aren't doing those things, whether that's like figuring out how to do tweet for a track uh, or, or like, do you remember when like Facebook pages, there was like like gateways and like you had like you had to like the page in order to see like this like tab and like, yeah. you know, all that kind of shit like having your ear to the ground and just like whatever you could figure out to get yourself a leg up, whether that was having a prettier layout, the tweet for a track, the like anything, anything at all, the rollover picture on the MySpace, like that went from like your smiling face to like you like playing an instrument, you know, like that all of that was just like, how do I get better than everybody around me and make my band like the biggest thing on earth? And now just replace band with business. Yeah. You know? It's it's crazy. And especially like there's a whole generation of kids that know how to code because of MySpace. Like I think that's bonkers. It's so yeah, you. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's it's crazy. I, I, I mean, it would be pretty ugly to get thrown into the ringer right now. But at the I time, certainly I, I could hold my own. <laughs> yeah. So were you doing um, CI at the same time as touring too? Like, were you kind of going back and forth and just how, how were you juggling that? Um, well, I mean, I was on a band that was on the label, so they weren't going to tell me to stay home, uh, <laughs> which was kind of, you know, kind of nice. A lot of like when I first started, like having like any times where I needed to like ask off of work and stuff uh, at other jobs, it was like 
just a race to figure out like how long could you work somewhere before you ended up like having to quit because they wouldn't give you time off because you're 17 or 18 or whatever. You know, you're working like some whatever minimum wage retail and Sun says you can't have off on Friday, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. or something like that. So working at CI at the same time was was pretty good. And the thing was, it, it for me, like with what I was doing, it was like almost more important that I was on the road because if we continue to sign artists and like have, you know, people go on to do more successful things, tour more often, whatever. I was developing, you know, like I can talk to you about what it's like on the road and like maybe you believe me more than like the 40 year old owner of the of the company. You know right. what I mean? Because I'm your age or or around your age if you're in a band or something like that. So I guess like it, it was never like it was never like too tough. I would still have to like do flyers for tours or like yeah. I might need to like deliver like you know, a cover or a poster or something like that, like while I was out on the road, but it wasn't, it wouldn't be the same as like working where I am now and like being, and like needing to continue to work like from the laptop in the van. But we can do that now. That's the kind of the crazy, we can do that now. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Cause I, I, I've thought about it, you know, cause I still know people and I could be like, well, I can still learn songs pretty quick on the bass. Yeah. Like I could if I wanted to. Yeah. I yeah. also have my clients. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, that, that kind of thing, um, at least for me, like didn't feel like it was possible until I was in this one band where, you know, the multi instrumentalist or whatever, he was still doing designs for other bands like on his computer while on the road. I was like, how, how can I do that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that like being able to do that stuff was really helpful. I would say like I did not spend a lot of time doing that while I was on the road, which was very nice. Yeah, Um, it usually just meant that like before I left or right after I got home that there was plenty to do. There was a ton going on, Um, which was good because it was like it was just managing workload and like, hey, if I can get all this done before I leave, then I don't need to worry about that. Like when I'm out there. Sure. Yeah. Plus, like, I got to I got to freaking send in sound scan numbers and like all kinds of, you know, merch like shit and, and advance with the promoter and figure like all this shit that's also still going on, like on the road in in addition to work. So fortunately, like work wasn't like crazy for me at that point. Yeah. So when did the when did touring stop and, and when did you make that transition to be more of a, a professional, if you will? <laughs> Um, when did that transition start? Uh, so like end of 2016 ish, the band that I was in, uh, the metal band, like we had effectively like stopped playing together. Like we were done. We were, we were not, we were not doing it anymore. Um, so at the same time, like the, basically like one of the last couple tours we did, uh, we did with a band from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, called narrow hearts. Uh, they were like a melodic hardcore kind of band. And they had a member who kind of like was also the parent, you know? And so like we got along really well and he ended up starting a business uh, with his brother where they were cleaning out like houses and businesses and all kinds of stuff, basically just like junk removal, more or less. Um, 
on the weekends when I wasn't working at the record label at this time, I was working at Goodwill and I was buying things from my Goodwill and selling them, basically flipping them. Yeah. But most, I was mostly interested in like antiques and cool shit. Um, and once my friend started this business and like we were just still in touch, I was like, well, who sells the shit for you guys? Like who sells the stuff that comes out of these people's houses provided it's not garbage? He's like, nobody. And I was like, what if I could do that? Yeah. And he was like, well, I guess you probably could. Uh, so we just kind of <laughs> stayed in touch for a couple, probably like, you know, eight or 12 weeks. I was just, I was get, starting to get like pretty burnout on the, like working at the label now that like my band wasn't on it. Sure. And like, and uh, like, honestly, the music industry, as anyone knows, like doesn't pay very well. So I was still living at home and I was picking up these weekend shifts at Goodwill. So I was like seven days a week, just like still not making enough to move out like on literally on my own to like get an apartment or anything. So I was just kind of like coming to a dead end and I had dropped out, obviously, you know, so like not a lot of great like career prospects. So I figured I would move to Milwaukee, Wisconsin in the in January of 2017 and give this business thing a shot, trying to sell antiques for my friend. Uh, so I got out there in January of 2017 I sold stuff on eBay for about a week and a half until his my friend's brother, uh, his business partner, uh, had gotten orders from the army. He's a veteran. Uh, he's still he's still in the reserves. But he got orders to go to training in like March. So like every year, um, even if you're in the reserves, like you still have these like I don't know, two or three weeks or something like that where like you have to go away from wherever you are and train. So. I became de facto like operations manager to be about two weeks after I got to Milwaukee. So no more selling antiques. Um, all of a sudden it was like, I'm in charge of like taking customer calls, uh, doing estimates for people, figuring out who's coming to work. Like we're running this entire business out of like a 800 square foot house. Like it's very tiny. We have like a driveway. It's where these trucks are parked and trailers. There's literally <laughs> dumpsters in our driveway. So like very like very quickly it was not selling shit on eBay, being operations manager. So fast forward like a year, I'm operations guy full time. We end up uh our group, like our like franchise location, uh ends up getting asked to like basically launch a bunch more franchise locations across the United States. Uh, because we were like by all measurable metrics, the most successful franchise location, which is very cool. Like very, very cool. You know? Um, so they're like, okay, well you guys might know a thing or two about this. So go out and launch these in other, in like major metropolitan areas, you know, launch these in Denver. Let's do one in, uh, San Diego and, and so on and so forth. And like, go find people to run them, go like you have access to this capital, like go buy the vehicles, go buy the trailers, go do all this shit. Uh, so I learned how to buy and insure a truck and trailer in uh, Denver, Colorado from Milwaukee, uh, you know, manage our leases through like a bank, like a five year, 100,000 mile, like $65,000 Chevy, you know, truck lease, yeah. like all this crazy shit that like, sick you know eight months before that a year before that like i was making album covers <laughs> you know like uh so it was just basically like another opportunity to learn and like be yeah. way more like into the business side of things and realize like how much that tour management and booking and whatever else was like 
applicable in this business sense. And just like, you know, just like, except for when you're in a band, like you can break up and like everybody's like, damn, that sucks. But like when you're in business, you go out of business and you're fucking doomed. Yeah. Okay? So like that is like bad. People lose their home. Like bad shit happens, yeah. you know? Um, so f- I was in Milwaukee through that for until literally June of this year. I ended up moving. But um, I, I worked for that company until July of 2021. Yeah. So about about five years ish, four and a half years uh, there, we ended up just basically scaling ourselves back and our operation back to just the Milwaukee area um, and just ended up going from the house to a 27,000 square foot warehouse. So like, here's how commercial here's how buying a commercial property works. This is yeah. how like getting a like getting insurance on that building. Now you need like you need so many more things. You need like enterprise, well, not enterprise level software, but you need to stop like, you know, you need like MDM on your cell phones. You need to buy phones for everybody at the company. Like all this shit that like from like scaling things, you just don't know exist or happen. You have to have a different kind of bank account. Now you got to go to this place and like, I have to evaluate payroll vendors. I have like, I know what a PEO is, <laughs> like you know, like all this weird shit, man. And uh, like it was an incredibly cool experience, like to to like be a part of this company from like five employees to like at one point like a hundred back down to like twenty five, um, and just like scale and, and and see like what breaks first and how do you fix it, you know? Yeah, and are are you at liberty to say where you work now? Yeah, as far as I know, I mean, yeah, I. I I work at I work at Zoom Video Communications. Uh so that that came about in July of 2021. Um it with the last business that I was talking about, we had grown so fast. We had like uh and we had contracted too during COVID. Uh mm-hmm. and we had just like it came to a point where uh it was like we could stay the like the closest people to me and I, like we could stay friends or we could keep working together. And it just it kind of had like a natural ending. I also like personally, no offense to the Midwest, I fucking hated living in Milwaukee. <laughs> so um, I, I ended up uh, doing, you know, going out and, and trying really hard to find a remote position. Uh, so because I was considering moving back to Lancaster, Pennsylvania at the time. Uh, and I ended up getting a call back from Zoom. Which is pretty nuts because I applied to a lot of companies that are not as prestigious as this one. And sure. they didn't, you know, whether it was an auto reply or not, it, it never, ever was another interview. Uh, but I got on the phone with or I got on the meeting rather. Right. Yeah. Uh, with Zoom and uh, talked to, a, you know, a handful of people that ended up being teammates of mine and, and a recruiter and all this stuff. And I started working at Zoom, which was really nuts. Uh, and, and it was another it was. I would say the biggest learning experience for me then and to this date is when I worked at a record label, there were three people in the office. When I worked at this company, there were like five people in management. And now I work at Zoom and there's 7,000 people here. Yeah. Um, so that, like, that scale is really difficult to fathom. And the other thing is when you work at like a smaller company, if those people have spent time in larger companies, that that's quote unquote corporate America and like people don't people like they make it like a personality trait to like hate that shit yeah so I had like had like this like kind of interest you know maybe not 
not even necessarily like misconception, but like this really distorted perception about what it would be like to be in a company that's that big. Uh, and also like a extreme curiosity, like how is it as bad as everyone seems to say it is? Um, but it's, it's, it's definitely been a learning experience to not, you know, be one of five people in a room, like making decisions, you know? So, and the other, the, the kind of crazy thing is like in a company this big, you're also not responsible for everything, which, yeah. which is new to me for the first time since being, starting a, a goddamn band. <laughs> Yeah, I would say that's probably like because I've I've worked at pretty large like corporations as well and smaller businesses and the amount that I would want to be like, hey, I can do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Don't worry yeah. about it. There's a whole other team full of ten other people. <laughs> yeah, do that. Don't worry about it. That that was a really difficult thing for me to do. Um, so I got a couple more questions and I'll I'll let you go. Um, sure. But as far as your experience at Zoom. Now, uh, what are you bringing to the table as far as your experiences uh, being in the scene, being in a band in the industry? Like what what are some direct correlations that you're finding uh, or how are you able to help the business in ways that you don't think anyone else could because of that? Great questions. Really great questions. I would say there are a couple things. Uh, the first, I think, is. The ability to draw parallels to situations in the music industry uh, in situations where other people might not have like a frame of reference, uh, you know, some something like you would not find a lot of people that would compare like necessarily like a feature rollout to an album rollout or something like that. Or like you, you if you've put out a record or, or, or like gone on a tour, like you have an idea of like what a like what a marketing campaign looks like, like what a calendar looks like for those things what kind of assets you might need in advance of that happening. Um, so that like that whole like kind of like scheduling thing and, and like just having these frames of reference, these different perspectives that are similar to be like, well, wait, why don't we do something like that? Uh, you, you can bring up something that like happened to you in music or like that's like parallel really. Um, and, and I think that that has been really helpful. And the other part of it straight up is, uh, you know, I've talked to, I, dude, I, I don't have a degree. Like, I know I'm not the best designer at this company. Like, I know I was like, I'm when I was getting interviewed, I'm like, I just going to be better people at designing things, going to be better people at doing this, that, like whatever else. But what I was told is that it is the background. It is like a very unique background to have. And, you know, I, I think that having like a diverse background amongst individuals, whether that is, you know, gender, race, religion upbringing location so on and so forth any any number of things having like a different perspective on a, especially on like a creative team like the, the one that i am on mm -hmm. is like somebody else isn't going to come up with the same ideas a and yeah. there's almost like an expectation of like a more like fun idea coming from like the guy from the bands yeah you know uh that that's like uh, i i've been i was told that like to my face they're like well you were in, like you were really interesting, you know? Yeah. And, and I would say like, that was one thing that like, I, I, I certainly don't think I could like write a course on interviewing or anything like that. But if there's one thing that I'm really glad about, it's that when I was able to talk to people at the company that I wanted to work for zoom, mm -hmm. it's that I was able to honestly represent myself and the things that I was interested in and get a job from that. 
not to necessarily like, I don't know that I would have had the same experience if I was like very intent on telling them about acquiring a lease for a vehicle in San Diego and like having to sort through insurance carriers and picking out the best payroll provider in California that would take care of taxes for me and so on. And so like whatever kind of shit there is, you know what I mean? So, so like being able to be so confident in like focused on being myself and the things that I really did like and having a, a company that was like, recognizing that yeah. and actually like interested in it that that's super cool you that know is, that, and, and i think that the authenticity matters you know yeah i know people like to throw around that word a lot but like it's true in this case like could, just being proud of who you are and where you've been and how you can provide value in whatever situation like that's all that's all it is like yeah. people people get so wrapped up in getting nervous about interviewing or what if they don't like me? Well, it's just like, we'll just show up. <laughs> yeah. You know, be, be yeah. somebody that you would want to work with, you know, or at least like present yourself as like someone who's going to be like, you know, good to be talking to working with like creative, interesting, whatever, like whatever your thing is that you really like. Like, I just would say, at least in the roles that I was going for in creative positions, like it was, it was important to me to, to be exactly who I was, you know, yeah. and, and who I am. And honestly, I still ask myself like pretty often I, I you know, and I'm like <laughs> imposter syndrome level, like what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So like anything is possible. Like I said, there were, there were definitely you now companies and things like that, that I had reached out to or was hoping, you know, to apply to get a response from whatever that they weren't looking for me, Yep. you know? And, and I never even got to talk to them. And so I think like, Maybe some of that might be like stubbornness, mm-hmm. but also some of that might be like, hey, you could find like a really awesome spot out there. You really could. And you won't need to sacrifice anything for it. You know, you know people will actually value, you know, the experience that you have, however obscure or like it is to you, like, or the rest of the world, like somehow that's really interesting, uh, you know, to, to somebody or to a team. Yeah, I agree with that too. And I think the biggest thing as well that I've had to learn, even in like the past like couple of years, because I'm several years older than you, but like understanding that like if I present myself in the way and not in a bad way at all, I'm just doing, I'm just, I'm telling you what I'm good at. I'm telling you who I am and my experiences. And if it's, if they don't pick you, like you're not for them and they're not for you, like it's okay. Mm-hmm. It has n- really, sure. really nothing to do with you at all (laughs) yeah yeah and but i mean yeah i mean it's just it's so it's so cool when you can be that person and that and i think that you know it's it's not everybody that gets super lucky to to find that but i think the people that do like those are the most successful people you know and those are the people that end up getting to be valued you know the highest by organizations uh are the ones who like end up fitting and you know what Sometimes you don't fit culture. Sometimes you don't fit uh, whatever. And you might, it might take six months into being somewhere until you find that out too. Yeah. Sometimes you get an opportunity and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. Sure. Like that hap- that's happened to me. Like, and it's mm-hmm. totally fine. And my last question was going to be, and I think we've answered it already, but just like, if there's one thing you could say to 
people who have come from the scene and trying to figure out how to navigate, you know, whether having their own business or, um, you know, getting a job or whatever else in the professional sense. Like, is there anything else that you would add to, to, um, to encourage them or any bits of advice? What would, what else would you say? Fight back, fight back the acid reflux and embrace LinkedIn. Honestly, I think that that's yeah. I think that I, that's like probably the hardest advice. And like, I certainly needed to hear that. And it, it like, uh, like, it took me a long time. I still like cringe sometimes when I read some of the shit on there. But <laughs> like, that's that's one of my biggest things is yeah. like, pay attention to LinkedIn, like try and find places where like really smart people are congregating and sharing information and really just like being that is the most accessible that like most of those people ever are is right there. You know, if you're a creator, they say like, you know, DMing your DMing people just like on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, wow. like just go for it. You know, what are they going to do? Not read it? Like, fine. Like you're, you're now, now go to LinkedIn. Like you could DM the CEO. You, if you really yeah. wanted to go for it, or like go look up the recruiters at some place and, and be friends with them, like connect to them on LinkedIn or you know anything like that. I think that that is, is probably a really big uh, piece of advice that I would give because yeah. it is it is difficult to get through at first, and I am definitely guilty, uh, personally, of being like, "What is this cringe bullshit? This is awful. This broetry. Like, I hate it. <laughs> I hated it." But when I realized, like, dude, there—I mean, there are a lot of people in there that are really smart. And the other yeah. thing is, a lot of people that are writing that shit are still really smart. They're yeah. just playing the game better than you are. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't want like when I decided to commit in a way you know um it's the parallels of like reaching out to someone a like to get business or whatever but also just to like um if you see someone cool like the weaker than thing i was talking about earlier mm-hmm. but like you're cool mm-hmm. i want to be friends with you because like it's a relationship you know and that's yeah. totally fine like what's wrong with having more friends but at but at the same time um if you want to do something, if you want to grow what you do, just imagine you're booking a show and you're like reaching out to a band. You're like, Hey, yeah. do you want to play with, with, with my band? And that's, that's yeah. all it is. I would say there's, there's one other thing that I would like recommend to people. And that's like, think about the thing that when you were, I don't know, 15 to 18, maybe 21, 25. I don't know. The thing that would like, you would start, I, I, it, it's like quarter after six for me, right? Yeah. The thing that you would start doing right now that like someone would have to drag you away from the screen to make you stop, that you could work on something until like one in the morning, two in the morning, that you just absolutely, like that's what you want to do. You are dead set on that project, on that principle, on that whatever. Do whatever you can to find that and then try to never lose that work ethic yeah. because I've been in and out of that personally. Uh, where I'm like, I don't want to do that right now. I'm good. I don't want to do that because here's the thing that like I, I'm going to call it laziness like that, that like ability to give up. You can never unlearn that. Yeah. No, you have to fight that forever. As soon as you let it exist, you have to fight that forever. So just whatever you can do to like stay sharp and stay on that thing that like you are passionate about or whether that's even just like solving a problem, whether that's a, a creative outlet, whether that's uh, write, you know, writing, uh, reading, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Just like try to always have that thing that you just can't be peeled away from. Because as soon as, as soon as you start to give yourself 
the AOK to like clock out a little early on something like it, it will never, you will never be able to get back from that. Yeah. And I'm going to add on something on top of that too. That thing you can't get away from. If that's not what you're working on, like making money from, Mm-hmm. maybe you should do that. <laughs> like, yep. especially if you hate where you work or whatever and you want something to change. But like, I think that'd be a good first way. The first opportunity you should try to see if there's something you can do about, because if that's something that you love to do and you want to make a living from it, just go for it. Try it. Yeah. <laughs> unless it's ska. Yes. Unless it's ska. <laughs> yeah. What kind of ska are we talking about here? I I actually I actually can't rag on it, man. I've probably seen Streetlight Manifesto like three times. So one of my first. I was I was I, I mean I, I kind of like grew up for like third wave. I never really had like the first or second wave thing. It, it just didn't work for me. But it was a lot of. I would say when I was like when I was still playing playing bass like regularly like, uh man, Keysby Nights great record. But yeah, a lot a lot of Streetlight Manifesto. Great bass players in ska incredible incredible Real big great f- bass players all around man punk amazing bass players now now i could now i could go on about real big fish yeah. i can go on about less than jake being one of the first shows i've been to but that's not what we're here for <laughs> maybe that's the patreon exclusive down the road but yeah anyway andrew it was so great um just learning about you and um getting your story and hopefully this conversation has helped somebody and and uh yeah and if you want people to find you where do they find you on the interwebs for sure yeah i am on linkedin my name is andrew zell and then i'm on most other social networks uh twitter and instagram particularly my handle is at hey zell z-e-l-l underscore very nice very nice. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I'll le- Dude, I'll I really you. appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I'll say this now because I didn't at any point before. This is the first time I've ever been on a podcast. Hell yeah. So it's <laughs> <laughs> is super cool, man. I really appreciate it. And like I said, uh, you taking the time to, to put this together is super awesome. And uh, if you don't learn anything from this episode, then go listen to another one because there are, are going to be a lot of smart people on here. Well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. And, that, and maybe that... If anything, if it's not me, it's going to be someone else. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you have, uh, I mean, from what I've heard, you have a great cast, uh, you know, coming out. So it's going to be, it's going to be really cool. And again, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much to Andrew Zell. That was a really fun conversation. And if you want to follow me in all my exploits, you can follow me on Twitter at chapters CRTV. That's chapters creative. And you can also find me on Instagram at Matthew Quen Nanez. That is Q U E N in the middle. That's my middle name. And also you can find me on LinkedIn, Matthew Nanez. It's really easy to find. There's only like two of us in the world. And also go to chapterscreative.com for all of your brand strategy and brand storytelling needs. Thank you so much. Stick around. Got some more awesome episodes to come.